Hey, welcome back to the Niflo Sabori podcast. This is Dr. Ari Grubner. I know, I know, I know. It's been a while since I released a podcast. A lot of people have been bothering you about that. I don't have a good excuse, but here we are. We're back and better than ever. So I'm really excited. We're doing something a little bit different, a little bit new this time. This podcast is a lot more, we'll say, like Torah-based. Still some fascinating, unbelievable uh, discussion about some of the Niflo Sabore, the wonders of, of the human body that God created, but very much tied in to Sefer Bereshis, the book of Genesis, and a very common theme that I've found that kind of runs through the entire book of Genesis, a medical theme. Stay tuned to find out more. As always, if you have any questions, comments, if you want to just learn more and understand, or, or you know, I love this stuff, in case you haven't realized, I love talking about this stuff. Send me an email, niflosaborepodcast at gmail.com. It's the longest email address in the world. Niflosaborepodcast at gmail.com, all one word. And let me know your thoughts. If you have any other thoughts about future podcasts, please reach out. Stay with us. All right, I know it's been a long time and I haven't put out a podcast. Yep, I am guilty. Here we go. Let's just jump right in, though. Instead of focusing on the past, let's focus on the future. This is it. Let's move on. So we just finished laning. We finished reading the entire Sefer Bereshis, the entire book of Genesis. We know it's one of the five books of the Torah. And if you're a medical type of a person... You know, I'm always thinking like whenever something comes up in the Torah, something medicine that could be tied in or something historic that has something to do with medical anything, doctors, it always gets me thinking if there's a medical condition and, you know, some ancient condition, it gets me thinking what that could be in modern terms. And, you know, I want to do just like a wrap up of the entire Sefer Bereshis. What would be, I was thinking about this, if you were to sum up, what would be uh, uh, a medical theme, let's say? something that comes up multiple times throughout the entire Sefer Bereshis, throughout the entire book of Genesis. I think a lot of people would probably say infertility. I think that's probably a pretty good one, right? Because all of the mothers, all of the Mahos were all infertile. Sarah, we know, uh, gave birth when she was in her 90s. And then um, Sarah, Rachel, and Rivka, there's basically all of them descriptions about Rivka waiting many years until she had Asa and Yaakov and Rachel as well. She tells Yaakov, if I don't have any children, it's like I'm Mesa, I should just die. She was desperate to have kids. And I think that's probably a pretty common theme that comes up multiple times. However, um, I think there's even a better one and maybe a more common one. And we talked about infertility at length with Dr. Clayman, who's a really, really interesting uh, OBGYN. And that's one of the earliest episodes way back when this all started. But there's a different topic, I think, that comes up multiple times that I would like to talk about today. Really, really interesting. And again, just like a intro, this is a little more Torah-based, this episode. It is science and Niflo Sabore, obviously, as always, but there's a little more Torah in here. If this is not your style, don't feel bad. We'll pick up with the next one back to like really interesting, cool medical stuff. But this one, you kind of have to be following throughout the Torah portion as well. But it's going to be really interesting and really cool, and we'll explain how it all ties in. Let me just start with the Pasuk here. In um, Parshas Vayigash, so it's Bereshis Parak Mem Dalid. 
in Parshas Vayigash. So this is right at the end, and you'll see why I'm starting with the end. Right at the end of Sefer Bereshis, in the second to last Parsha, where Binyamin is brought to Yosef, who was the ruler of Mitzrayim, and then the brothers don't know that it's really Yosef. And Yosef says, you know, he catches them, he plants some stuff with them, money and goblet, and then he finds it and, and he pretends, he thinks that they're actually like stealing things from him. And he says, you know, Binyamin's going to have to stay with me. And he orchestrates this whole elaborate plan and basically says at the end of the day, when the brothers really did not want to bring Binyamin and Yaakov didn't want to send Binyamin down there, Yosef orchestrates this whole plan to make it look like Binyamin stole something. And he says, Binyamin is staying with me. And Yehuda gets up and says a whole soliloquy. Is that a word? I think that's a fancy word of the day. Soliloquy. I think, no, it's not a soliloquy because Yehuda is actually talking to Yosef. I think a soliloquy is when you're talking to yourself. Anyway, <laughs> Yehuda goes on uh, a whole story basically telling Yosef, you can't do this to me. You don't realize what happened. We had another brother who died. Little does Yehuda know that that was actually Yosef who died, the brother he was talking about. But then he says, if you take Binyamin, Pasuk Lamed Aleph in Parakram Dalit, he says, Vahaya kiroso ki ein hanar. When Yaakov sees us come back, and ein hanar, and this child, Binyamin, is not with us, you know what's going to happen. Vames. Yaakov is going to die. Now, what does this mean? I think this is like a Pusik probably we've read through our whole lives and we kind of just read through it. But what does that mean? He's going to die when he sees that Binyamin is not there? Now, there is a concept for sure of like, you know, someone losing their will to live, let's say, um, where someone's elderly and they're fighting diseases maybe. And if they, if they um, emotionally or psychologically have nothing to live for because they're so distraught and so depressed then yes, their life may be shortened and they may not have the will, let's say, psychologically, it's definitely been proven. I think this is discussed, uh, Viktor Frankl, who was a very interesting um, Holocaust survivor, psychotherapist, psychoanalyst, talks about this a lot in a book called Man's Search for Meaning. But the idea is, yeah, for sure, there's a connection between our physical well-being and our emotional, psychological well-being. And if Yosef, if Yaakov, you know, maybe uh, Yaakov would realize that his youngest son was no longer alive or was captured, then maybe he would lose the, the will to live. But I don't think that's what it means here. It doesn't say that he would, you know, be very depressed and, and really not continue on in a normal way. It says Vemes. It sounds like he's going to drop dead. So I think what the Torah seems to be saying in this passage, what Yehuda seems to be saying is that if he's, and, and the other thing, it says Kiroso, as soon as he sees that this kid is not with us, that Benyam is not with us, Vemes, he's going to die. It seems to be this idea of him just realizing that Binyamin was captured or caught or had to stay in Mitzrayim and he will drop dead. And this got me thinking, like, what is that concept all about? Now, I think, you know, people there's in like pop culture movies or whatever, there's always this, like, you know, people are all of a sudden told crazy news and they grab, they clutch their chest and they're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. And then they drop dead. And that's almost like the uh, childish picture here of like, you know, he finds out that Binyamin wasn't, is not there and he just drops dead. But from a medical standpoint, like what, what is that? You know, like what is that actually? I'll, I'll explain it uh, just to drop more. Like, you know, in the hospital when, when we take care of a patient. So insurance companies are 
they they need to know exactly what happened because they bill, right? So there's these codes that doctors need to type in. This is not something that anyone really would care about if you're outside of the medical world. But there's these codes, ICD-10 codes, International Code something. I don't even know what it stands for. And basically, if someone comes into the hospital for um, pneumonia, there's an ICD-10 code that we have to type in and say, this patient was here. And then the insurance companies, when they go and bill, they say, okay, this is billing for pneumonia. And whatever that billing is for, they get reimbursed. And there's a whole world of billing, which is just a headache. Anyone that spent any time on the phone with insurance companies knows what type of a headache it is. But basically, as, as doctors, we have to type in an ICD-10 code. That means you have to come up with a diagnosis. And you'd be surprised, like if you would Google it, there are ICD-10 codes for everything, anything you could think of. Some of the wacky, if you Google like wacky ICD-10 codes, there's some really interesting things. I think there's one I once found. Uh, there's a code for billing for someone who gets sucked into a jet engine, something, something like that. So... The question is, what is the ICD-10 code? Like, what death from 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 anguishing news? Death from very emotional news? It, what what is that? Like, what type of what is that? Now, I think a lot of people, if you would ask on the street and say, "What does you know? How could somebody die from from extremely emotional news?" I think a lot of people would say heart attack. That's kind of the thing that people would throw around. They say, "Well, someone could have a heart attack." <clears throat> Here's the thing about that. A heart attack, I think we talked about this when we talked about the heart way back with Dr. Chaim Ambinder. But a heart attack, what is a heart attack? So a heart attack is when the heart, the heart, the heart has its own blood supply. So the heart pumps blood to the whole body, but the heart also pumps blood to itself. It needs blood as well. Blood carries all this important stuff, mainly oxygen. That's the number one most important thing it carries. And those blood vessels anywhere in the body when they get clogged up with cholesterol and fat and plaque, those are all kind of synonymous terms, basically. But when they get clogged up, you can imagine literally just like a pipe, like a plumber, like the pipe gets clogged up with garbage and junk, the arteries can get clogged up. And when an artery gets clogged up, and th and this, by the way, this is not the point of this whole podcast right now, but that's why people are making such a big deal about exercise, big deal about exercise and uh, eating healthy. Because when we eat garbage <clears throat> and high fat and uh, even high carbs, because carbohydrate can do the same thing, really, in our body, it can convert into plaque and cholesterol, it builds up and it can clog off the pipe. And what happens then is that the bloodstream can't get to where it needs to get to. Anywhere in the body could get clogged off. Um, a person could have an artery in their arm full of plaque that gets clogged off, plaque and cholesterol, and then it can't get oxygen and it would be very painful and in the leg. But when that happens in the heart, that is a heart attack. A heart attack is when the blood supply, the heart is pumping blood to the whole body, but when the heart itself can't get blood because of plaque, because there's a big thing of plaque there that blocks it off, that's a heart attack. A heart attack is when the heart itself cannot get blood supply, i.e. it can't get oxygen. Now, that does not really fit with this. You know, like to say that Yaakov Avinu would find out the news that Benjamin wasn't there and he would have a heart attack. There is not really, in my mind, a good way to explain how those that would make any sense. A heart attack has nothing at all to do with, the, with news or with emotion. A heart attack has to do with plaque in the arteries. So I don't think that's, you know, I know a lot of people are thinking that or going to say that, but I don't think that really fits well. 
Now, why do I say this is kind of like a running theme throughout this whole Sefer? So let's go, I mean, I think already people are probably thinking of it, but there are multiple other examples where the same exact idea comes up. The most prominent one that I think every little kid in school learns about, maybe, is um, beginning of Parshas Chayisara. Uh, what chapter is that? I don't remember. Vayera Chayisara, chapter 24 in Sefer Bereshis. So the beginning of Parshas Chayisara, it talks about where Sarah dies. And the commentaries are all bothered that Sarah, di- <coughs> Sarah passes away um, at 127 years old. And then immediately before this was the story of Akedas Yitzchak, the binding of Yitzchak, where Avraham took Yitzchak onto a mountain and bound him and almost shechted him. And then the Malach came at the last moment and stopped him. And then immediately after that, it says, these are the Chai Sarah, and she dies. Sarah dies. And... Rashi's bothered, one of the big, well-known Mephorshim commentaries on the Chumash, on the Torah. Rashi asks right away, he's like, what is one, what's the connection here between this one thing and the next? Immediately after Akedas Yitzchak, then we have the story of Sarah dying. And Rashi says that, um, what happened? Rashi said, I'll read it here. V'nismecha misas Sarah la'akedas Yitzchak. The reason that Sarah's death is put immediately after Akedas Yitzchak, the story of the binding of Yitzchak, it was because of the news about this Akedah, when Sarah heard the news that her son, who they had waited so long to have, that her son was on the mountain and was almost slaughtered by Avraham, Sarah died, Parcha Nishmasa. Parcha Nishmasa, that means her soul left her. She died from this news. And it's the exact same thing that the Torah is talking about later on in Parshas Vayigash. It's like this concept of heavy, intense news somehow causing someone to die. Now, again, like, what is the ICD-10 code? What exactly is physiologically going on here? Is there a good medical explanation for this? Now, sometimes I think we can kind of um, investigate around a story, and that will help us get a better idea into the story itself. And what I mean here is that in regards to Sarah, there were other people that knew about the Akedas Yitzchak. And they did not die. And I think that can kind of point us in a direction and say, like, why not? What was it about Sarah? And what I'm referring to, who are the people that knew? What I'm talking about is, first of all, Avram himself, obviously, right? Avram was told by God. He was told by Hashem in Bereshis Chav Beis, Pasuk Beis. Hashem says, go take your firstborn son. Go take your son Yitzchak. Not your firstborn, but go take your son Yitzchak and bring him up on a mountain and shecht him. And Avram doesn't die. Now, you could say, of course, yeah, maybe the news, you know, Sarah took the news differently than Avram took the news. But I think we can look into the Pasuk itself and actually find a clue. So what the Pasuk says by Avram, it says, Vayomer, Hashem says, Kachna, take, as bincha, your son, as yechidcha, your only one, as sherahavta, that you love, as yitzchak, yitzchak. And Rashi there explains, what's this whole drawn out thing? What's this whole long, drawn-out thing that Hashem's saying, go take your son, which son is it? It's a really, Rashi explains that this was a whole long discussion over here. He said, go take your son. And Avram said, well, I have many sons. Which son? This son that you take. The son that's only the only son to his mother. The son that you love. It's a whole drawn-out conversation. And Rashi says, what was this whole long, drawn-out conversation between God and Avram? V'lamma lo gila lo mitchila. Why didn't Hashem just tell him right away, go take Yitzchak? Right? Three words. Instead of a whole long drawn out conversation, says Rashi Shalom 
so that he doesn't confuse him with the sudden news and cause Avram's mind to get confused, we can say. A little hard to translate. But basically, the way Rashi is explaining here is Hashem, God, purposely went through a whole long discussion almost with Avraham and, and made a, had a drawn-out discussion with him saying, take your son, which son, what am I doing, what am I taking, where am I taking him? It was, it was he almost broke, the way we'd say it nowadays is he broke the news to him slowly. And that's a fascinating thing because we see here immediately a difference between when Avraham found out about this news of Akedas Yitzchak and when Sarah found out about the news about Akedas Yitzchak. By Avraham, Hashem went out of his way the way the Rashi says it is, not to confuse him in a sudden manner. It was done very slowly. And it was pointed out as well, interestingly, my wife pointed this out, my dear wife, a big scholar of the Bible, of Torah. She pointed out that when Avraham and Yitzchak are on their way up, and Yitzchak doesn't even yet know what's going on, we see the same thing. Yitzchak doesn't die when he finds out this news. And perhaps we can say it's a similar thing. When you look over there, I don't have it in front of me, but basically Yitzchak says like, oh, you know, I see you have the wood, but where's the seh? And Avram says, well, you know, we'll see. If there's no seh, then, you know, and slowly, it, it almost like it dawns on him slowly. He's like, wait a second. You know, we have the wood and we're on our way up to the top of the mountain and we're going to bring a carbon and it's slowly. And Avram basically says, well, if there's no seh, then le'ola b'ni then like you, my son, will end up being the carbon. And it was broken to him in a, in a slow kind of a way. So, so I think, you know, looking at all this, we kind of see, putting this all together, that again, there is something about sudden emotional news that can cause somebody to die. We see that Avraham, the news was broken to him slowly and he didn't die Yitzchak, the news was broken to him in a slow kind of a way, and he didn't die. Sarah was told, and she died. And later on in Parshas Vayigash, we see Yehuda saying that if my father even just sees that Benjamin is not with us, the mace, he will immediately die. And I think this kind of begs the question, is like, what exactly is this idea? What, what type of a death? What is the ICD-10 code that we're talking about over here? So, I think, let's take a moment and, and talk about the heart. And once we do that, I think we'll be able to come around and and come full circle. And you'll see what I'm getting at with this. Really interesting. So we let's just quickly review. What is the heart? How would we define the heart in one simple sentence? The heart is a pump. It's a mechanical device that pumps fluids. That's what I mean. What is a pump? A pump is a mechanical device that moves fluids. The heart is a pump. That's all it is. It pumps and pumps and pumps. And when you think about the heart, one of the most amazing things about it is that it, it doesn't stop. And we don't need to think about it. You know, to contrast heartbeat to breathing, it's kind of interesting. I've thought about this a lot. And I don't know if I ever pointed out in any of my podcasts, but breathing is controlled willingly, right? I can, I can tell myself to breathe faster or breathe slower, but it's also unconscious breathing. So when I'm sleeping, I'm not really telling myself to breathe but I will still breathe. Or if someone's unconscious, very often they'll still breathe. So breathing could be controlled consciously or unconsciously, basically. Willingly or unwillingly. The heartbeat, there is no way for me to tell my heart to beat faster, to beat slower. In fact, I don't even need to think about it at all. It just beats. 
which is kind of really crazy and really interesting. And the heart just beats and beats and beats and beats. How many beats a minute? A normal adult heartbeat is about 60 to 100 beats a minute. Does not stop. And if you think about that over 24 hours, uh, 365 days a year, you're at about 42 million this is like, so these facts, I, I don't know, sometimes some sometimes these are impressive and sometimes it's just like too mind-boggling to even wrap your head around. When you hear some of these facts like, you know, if we would wrap your intestines, it would span the world 8 million times. <laughs> so, but but I think this is just such a crazy number. It's 42 million heartbeats a year. And if a person would average, let's say, 80 years of life, we're talking about 3 billion heartbeats. Think about a mechanical device that does that without stopping, just keeps on going beating and beating and beating. Really what it's doing is pump, pumping and pumping and pumping. So the heart keeps pumping blood. Now, one of the most incredible things about the heart. So the heart is pumping blood. Blood, like we've talked about, contains all this really good stuff that your entire body needs, that every organ needs. Um, most importantly, it contains oxygen. And every single organ needs oxygen all the time. Now, what happens, uh, you know, let's say, like I said, your resting heart rate for your average adult is, let's say, 80. You know, let's just say somewhere between 60 and 100. So 80 beats per minute. Uh, someone, you know, has to walk up three flights of stairs to get to their apartment, and they start walking, and they start walking up one flight, and they start walking up another flight. And then by the time they get up to the top of the three flights of stairs, if you were to check their heart rate, and try to count how many beats per minute, how fast is their heart beating? What do you think it would be at that moment? It would be a, more than 100, you know, maybe 110, 120, maybe even 130. It depends on a lot of factors. It depends on their age. It depends on how, what kind of shape the person's in and how often they exercise. But it certainly, certainly, certainly would be faster. Would, your, the heart would be pumping faster and harder than, than if they're just sitting there relaxing. And this is pretty amazing because this is a totally unconscious thing that our heart does. Now, why is it doing that? Well, if you think about it, you know, uh, what's going on when you're walking up the stairs? Well, your muscles are working a little bit harder. So your leg muscles have to take more steps. Your brain might even have to work a little bit harder. But most importantly, your muscles are working harder and doing more work. So they need more oxygen. They need more glucose. All that stuff that the blood has, they need it. It's unbelievable when you think about it that the heart is like in in touch with that right the heart is not just like pumping and pumping and pump, pumping but it's this genius device that not only does it never stop and it keeps pumping and pumping and pumping but it delivers the exact amount of oxygen that the body needs in that moment you're resting and just chilling and not doing much all right 60 beats per minute 70 beats per minute you start walking up a flight of stairs there is this interaction between the brain and the heart and the muscles of the body, of the legs, which now need a little bit more oxygen, and the heart rate goes up. And it goes up exactly the amount. It, it, it is designed by God that the heart rate should start beating just fast enough so it can deliver enough oxygen to those leg muscles that are now working harder. And you start running a little faster, you're sprinting, your heart rate's going to go up to 180. You know, and it's this perfect system where we don't even have to give any input. All we have to do is just run and the heart and the brain figure this out together. And that is unbelievable when you think about it, you know, not to take for granted. I think every time we're running or we're working a little bit harder and we feel our heart rate starting to pick up, you just stop and think like, wow, 
what an unbelievable system we have here. Now, I, I think that that is unbelievable, to have a mechanical device, a pump, that lasts for years and years and years and doesn't stop and every second is just beating away. And not only that, but it's in tune with the rest of our body and it knows exactly how much oxygen needs to be delivered, how much fast and how hard the has to pump in order to deliver blood to all of the rest of the body. Unbelievable. But let me give you, uh, you know, this is really going to like blow your mind. This is just, there's no way to, there's no other way to say it. I mean, this is just amazing. Let's say it's, uh, I'll give you a scenario. Let's say it's like a late night and uh, someone just finished like a late meeting and they're out in the city and they're walking back to their car and it's maybe not the best area. It's like a dark kind of dim street and their car is like three blocks away and there's no street lights really and there's some shady characters maybe hanging out on the corner and the person's walking and, and they're not really walking and very, very fast. They're not doing more exercise than they would normally be doing. But what's gonna happen to their heart rate? You know, they're walking in this really kind of shady, bad neighborhood. And we've all experienced this, right? You're in a situation where, you know, you're kind of like on edge and you're not sure what's going on and you're getting a little bit nervous. And what happens to your heart rate? Your heart rate goes up. So it's not only when you start walking up a flight of stairs, but it seems like there's even like this mind-heart connection where just from your surroundings, from your mind picking up that this is maybe an anxious, nervous type of situation, your heart rate picks up. Why does it do that? This is unbelievable. This is a preemptive strategy. So God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, created this preemptive strategy where if a person's mind appreciates and notices that this could be a dangerous situation, then it's not the heart is not going to wait until they have to start running and then kick in and start beating fast. It's a preemptive thing. The heart immediately starts beating faster as soon as the mind detects that we might need to use more muscles than we're used to using. As soon as the mind detects this is a dangerous situation, we might need to make a run for it. We might need to be on edge. We might need to start moving a little bit faster. Preemptively, the heart goes ahead and starts beating faster. And that's amazing. What an amazing, amazing system when you think about it. Now, how does that work? How, what is this heart-mind connection where your mind sees something immediately? You ever have that experience where like someone scares you or all of a sudden you turn around and you get scared by something? You immediately feel your heart beating faster. And the reason for that is exactly this, is because as soon as your mind gets scared, there's this connection between the mind, the brain, and the heart saying, we better start beating faster because we might need to use more power. Our muscles might need to start running. Let's get ready and start delivering oxygen. And what creates that connection? There is a hormone, a molecule in the bloodstream called epinephrine. Epinephrine. In England or in other countries, they call it adrenaline. And of course, people have heard the word adrenaline. But for this purpose, let's just call it epinephrine. That's typically what we call it in medicine and what we call it in this country in the United States. Epinephrine is a hormone which is released, it doesn't matter where it's released, but it happens to be released from the adrenal glands, so it's from a certain organ. But basically, epinephrine is like this messenger between the mind and the heart. And the heart responds beautifully to epinephrine. If the mind detects that there's maybe a scary situation, 
or a, an anxious or nervous situation where there may be a need for more muscle power, as soon as the mind, immediately, as soon as the mind detects that, boom, there's an epinephrine release into the bloodstream. The heart has these sensors and detectors that pick up on that epinephrine, epinephrine and say, hey, there's epinephrine in the bloodstream. The mind must want me to be beating faster. And the heart starts beating faster and beating harder and preparing to pump blood, i.e. oxygen, to the rest of the body. And wow, what an amazing, incredible, incredible system that's going on here. Now, a couple interesting things. I think this is just fascinating, but, but as an aside, you know, um, maybe people have heard a very common medication. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Americans are on a class of medications called beta blockers to help control blood pressure. If the heart is beating too hard, then that could be an issue of high blood pressure, which I'm not going to get into right now. But there's beta blockers. Another way to explain what a beta blocker is, it's an epinephrine blocker. So in other words, when there's epinephrine is telling the heart to beat faster and beat harder, there are medications that can block the epinephrine, if you think about it, and say, we don't want the heart really beating that hard because this person maybe has high blood pressure. The pressure is a little bit too hard. So a beta blocker is a medication which actually blocks epinephrine. I think that's just fascinating and kind of helps, helps us wrap our mind around it. Another fascinating kind of side point is if you talk to anybody who's in Hatsala or EMS or a paramedic, you know, anything like that, this is like, you know, paramedic 101, is if somebody is in, God forbid, if someone's in cardiac arrest, i.e. their heart is not pumping, and they fall, they're in the middle of who knows where, some, some place, and they fall down, and there's no pulse, their heart's not pumping. What medication do you think the paramedic or the doctor or whoever arrives on the scene, what medication do you think they're going to give them to get their heart to start pumping again? You guessed it. It's epinephrine. So there's a lot of other things involved. People might do chest compressions and they might defibrillate. But, but the bottom line is if you want to know which medicine you're going to give to restart a person's heart, it's epinephrine. And the reason is exactly this. Because our bodies produce epinephrine and the heart is extremely sensitive to epinephrine. The heart responds to epinephrine. So epinephrine is this hormone that is runs through the bloodstream, and again, the mind senses, hey, this is an anxious situation. We might need to pump a little bit faster because we might need to make a run for it. Preemptively, goes ahead, there's an epinephrine release, and the heart starts to beat faster and harder. Now, this is something I always had as a question. I, I, I still don't really feel like I have an adequate answer. And if anybody feels like they have a good explanation, please, please, please reach out because I, I, I'm really interested in this. But if you've ever given a speech in public, you know, let's give an example. Let's say uh, someone calls you up and says, come, please give a speech, 1,000 people, 10,000 people, who cares, 20 people. You know, speaking in public is one of the most nerve-wracking things. What's that famous line Jerry Seinfeld said? I think he said the number one... You can Google it. But I think he said the number one fear when people were polled, their number one fear is public speaking, and the number two fear that people have is death. So he said that means if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be the person in the casket than the person giving the eulogy. But I'm bummed. So public speaking is really a scary thing, right? People get very anxious about it. Now, I know when I have to speak, or even before I have to start recording a podcast, maybe, um, my heart rate goes up. And my heart starts you know, definitely before a public speech. 
this is very, very common anytime. So it's an interesting thing, you know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is creating a system from scratch. You're creating a system, and, and like I explained, it's a phenomenal system where the heart preemptively can start to beat faster and harder in order to preemptively give oxygen and glucose and all those good molecules to the entire body to be ready to make a run for it. But why did Hashem need to create that same response in situations where there's just plain old nervousness, like you're about to give a public speech? You don't really need that fast heart rate and, and, and the heart pumping really hard. You know, it doesn't seem like it's beneficial. So why couldn't Hashem have just created the system where, yeah, if you're walking down a dark alley and you might need to make a run for it or you have to fend for your life or you're in a forest and you have to run away from bears, then, yeah, your heart should definitely be pumping a little bit faster, a little bit harder preemptively to prepare you to make a run for it. But why does that same response happen you know, when someone's giving a speech, I don't know why Hashem had to create it like that, you know? Um, and if anything, I feel, as like, I feel like it gets in the way. Like when I'm about to give a speech, if my heart's pounding out of my chest, I feel like it, it gets in the way. It's harder for me to kind of focus and, and give my speech. So I don't know. I don't have a good explanation for that. I asked a few people and I've discussed it with a bunch of people. Some people want to, to claim or, or try to answer by saying, that even in a situation when you're, let's say, giving a speech or, I don't know, about to do a medical procedure or in a surgery and your heart picks up a little bit and there's a little bit of anxiety and your heart rate starts to pick up, some people claim that, you know, it might make you a little bit more in tune. Yeah, it's true. You're not going to have to make a run for it, but it might make you a little more in tune. Let's say you're giving a speech. It might make you a little bit more in tune with the crowd. It might, you know, a little bit more oxygen and glucose going to your brain and it might just make you a little bit more like you know, on your game. It's an interesting thought. I don't know if it's true. You know, I, I think if I had a choice when I'm about to give a public speech between fast heart rate or slow heart rate, I think I would go with the slow heart rate. Um, and you know what? There's actually, it's interesting, people with like anxiety when they're performing, sometimes doctors will actually prescribe beta blockers, that same medication which lowers blood pressure. Sometimes doctors, doctors will prescribe beta blocker, i.e. an epinephrine blocker, for people who feel like this anxiety and this fast heart rate and, and heart beating really fast and hard is like so inter, in, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It so interferes with their performance that sometimes doctors will even prescribe beta blockers for something like that. Now, this is all a really long kind of side note, and I just think it's fascinating. And, and this question about public speaking, if you have further thoughts, it's not just public speaking, right? It's anytime you do something, some performance or something. Uh, you know, the question is, why did Hashem have to create such a system where our heart rate goes faster in those scenarios? But this is all a really, really long way of saying that this is an amazing, amazing system, which is really unbelievable. Like this, this heart that Hashem created us with and the way it interacts brain to heart with epinephrine as the messenger, sending oxygen and glucose to the whole rest of the body. Wow. But what happens in a situation where somebody finds out this is coming full circle, right? So I gave a little bit of background, but coming full circle, coming back to this whole thing about, say for Beratius, the book of Genesis and all these instances where people seem to die or at least be at risk of dying from a massive emotional uh, message. So what happens when someone finds out something so emotionally either disturbing or exciting or something along those lines where there's Again, there's this massive epinephrine surge where all of a sudden the heart is just like 
inundated with boom, epinephrine, 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 and the heart has to really pump massive amounts and really, really hard and really, really fast. What do you think would happen in such a situation? There is a medical condition. This is a real medical condition. And the real name for it is Takotsubo cardiomyopathy. What We don't really need fancy names. I mean, once in a while we throw out some fancy names. But if you Google it or you want to learn about it or you want to talk, ask someone about it, it's called broken heart syndrome. Broken heart syndrome, exactly like it sounds like, which is when someone hears information that causes such emotional distress or even uh, not just distress, but even, you know, simcha, even such emotional happiness. There is a real medical condition called broken heart syndrome. I can read you just a definition because I think it's so beautiful. It fits so beautifully with a lot of what we're discussing. Broken heart syndrome is a condition that may feel like a heart attack, but it's caused by going through an emotionally stressful event. This is from a medical uh, journal. It is not caused by clogged arteries. It's trigger triggered by stressful situations like the death of a person that you love. And here's the bottom line where we underline this based on everything that we're talking about. It is thought that when you have broken heart syndrome, your body releases stress hormones like epinephrine that temporarily curb your heart's ability to pump as well as it should. And that's exactly what we're talking about here, is that when someone has this type of emotional news, which is so heavy and so intense, they can have such a massive surge where the brain senses something so intense, intensely emotional, and there's a massive epinephrine surge, and the heart maybe can't handle it. It's too much for the heart to handle, and a person could develop broken heart syndrome. And that, perhaps, is what the Torah is talking about. That's what it means that Yaakov... If he were to find out, it doesn't even say he would find out the news. It says if he were to see that Binyamin is not there, Vames, he would immediately die. It would just be such a massive, painful, emotionally jarring situation that he would immediately die. And that's perhaps, again, to tie it all together, maybe that's what happened in the beginning of Parshas Chai Sarah. Why did Sarah die when she heard the news? Well, this was her son that she had in her old age, and this was going to be the future of Klal Yisrael, and she hears that he was shechted. Or he was basically, you know, taken up to be shechted, to be slaughtered um, on a mountain by Avram. And as soon as she hears that, parcha nishmasa, her, her soul leaves her. So what is the ICD-10 code? I don't know for sure. But perhaps we're talking about broken heart syndrome. I want to just finish off with one more uh, topic, one more thing from Sefer Bereshis from the book of Genesis. This is in chapter 45, Perak Memhe. And I think hearing this, I think it just ties it all together and it's really amazing. At the end, this is in Parshas Vayigash, so just to come full circle here, where Yosef, we know, was, was sent away to Mitzrayim, and Yaakov thinks that he's dead, and the brothers realize that Yosef's still alive, and they come back and they tell Yaakov after all these years, they get ready and they come to tell Yaakov, hey, by the way, Yosef is still alive. The Pasuk says, Pasuk Chafhei, 25, Vayalu mi Mitzrayim, they come up from Mitzrayim, they come to Canaan, to Yaakov, Vayagidu lo lemor, they tell him, saying, oh, Yosef chai, Yosef is still alive. And Vichy, who Moshe Bechol Eris Mitzrayim. He's actually a ruler in the land of Mitzrayim. Listen to these next words here. There's two words here. The Pasuk says, Vayafag Libo. Vayafag Libo. The heart of Yaakov. What does this mean? What does this word mean? Pei Gimel. Vayafag Libo. How do we translate this? Rashi says, Nechlef Libo Vahalach Milahamen. Rashi says, Vayafeg Libo means his heart did not believe this news. It doesn't mean his heart literally, you know, the way we think about it. It means 
Vayafig Libo, his heart denied that this could be true. And immediate finding out that Yosef was alive 22 years later, or however many years later it was, Vayafig Libo, his heart could not believe this news. Says the Ramban, Nachmanides, right there, on he quotes Rashi, and he says, Rashi is incorrect. The word Vayafig does not mean that he denied. It doesn't mean that, that he didn't believe it. The Ramban says, Poge, this word, Vayafig Libo, is a lesson of Shvisa Ubitl. It's a lesson of seizing, stopping, abolishing. Vigamze, Vayafig Libo, Shinispata Libo, Upaska Nishimasa. You know what it means? When Yaakov Avinu heard this news, Vayafig Libo, it means to stop. His heart stopped. And, says the Ramban, Upaska Nishimaso, he stopped breathing. Because the movements, the pumping and the movements of his heart had stopped. He went into cardiac arrest. That's what we would say in modern day terminology. If the heart stops pumping, he went into cardiac arrest. And wow, what an amazing thing. I mean, I, I think this, again, is, a, is an exact example. Why is someone's heart stopped pumping? Because they heard such intense emotional news. In this case, really happy news. And I think it's the same thing. Broken heart syndrome is not just when you hear bad news. It's any time there's a massive emotional response and then there's a massive rush of epinephrine, then I think it is possible for this condition to occur. And the Ramban goes on. It's just so, so interesting. This is written like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. He says, this Indian, I'm just going to translate roughly. He says, this idea of the heart stopping is, it's well known that when sudden happy news comes, that a person's heart can stop. He says this is mentioned in all the medical textbooks, specifically Harifuos, that a, the elderly heart is not able to handle news like this and it can stop when sudden news comes. Um, and that's basically kind of what he says there. And, and so, so, so fascinating that, uh, that this topic kind of just keeps coming up in Sefer Barishas. I don't know why, you know, by Sarah, when she hears the news, Parcha Nishmasa, her soul leaves and she dies. Um, by Yaakov, when he hears this news, Vayafeg Libo, his heart stops, and then, but we know he continues to live on. He actually travels down to Mitzrayim and ends up living there and dying there. But somehow, even though he had this Paska Tenuas Halev, even though his heart stopped beating, it must have been able to restart again. He ends up outliving living the rest of his life in Mitzrayim. What a fascinating, fascinating thing. That's the idea, I think, is you know just to always remember. We feel our heart. We walk up a flight of stairs, and you feel your heart picking up a little bit. Remember that amazing mechanism where the heart's pumping a little bit extra to provide our muscles with more oxygen and more glucose. And then in those dark alleyways where you feel your heart kind of beating out of your chest, remember that this is a blessing. It's a bracha from Hashem. It's so that our muscles and the rest of our body is ready to get into gear in case we need to make a run for it. What an amazing, amazing system. I hope you enjoyed and uh, I'm glad we're back. Join us next time. Hey, thanks so much for listening to another podcast from the Niflo Sabore Podcast. This is Dr. Ari Grubner. I hope you enjoyed. I, every day, learn something new. I mean, every single patient I take care of, every day I learn something new about the human body. And, and it's just amazing. It's, it's really endless. And every day I'm, I learn something that just really blows me away. This creation that Hashem created is just so, so fantastic so amazing it's so deep so i hope you're enjoying this if you have any questions or comments please feel free to reach out stay tuned we've got lots more exciting episodes coming up and thank you for joining me